And so let's pray that we would continue in worship in this time. So Father, we turn to you. We, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. You've done so much to show yourself faithful. There's story after story in this room of how you have proven yourself over time to, to bring help, to bring life, and to bring even purpose in a new way. You've changed our lives, God, and we, we praise you for that. We, we worship you now even as we, we trust your word that directs our lives. It's a, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. And so, Lord, would this time as a church, as we're gathered here around your word, would it be a time to seven. We're going to be using the CSB version today. One of my favorites, so we're going to do that. Um, but it's, it's really a good mix between the NIV and the ESV. It's highly readable, but it's also very literal. But use any version you want. We're going to have the CSB in the back. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, who here, who here has ever run, I'm, I'm curious, church, who here has ever run a marathon or done an Ironman? I want to see hands. It's time to brag. All right, all right. We know who the, we know who the hardcore people are in here. No, okay. <laughs> but I've learned that most people who have, have done so are at a minimum just a little crazy. So that's why I had you raise your hands, and actually my wife was one of them, so. Um, <laughs> but from, from this marathon training, especially w- w- observing my wife doing such, and she did a half Ironman, um, there's a few things that I've observed. One is the race actually starts way before the event. It starts during the training. The training itself has to take place over a long period of time, and it has to be consistent. You know, you, you, or you simply just can't cross the finish line. You can't just put this off to the last minute and then think you're going you're gonna to do it. It's impossible. You have to have the long game in view. And number two, the, the marathon or the Ironman, it's so long that without fail, there's, there will be obstacles, there will be problems that you have to overcome, or you simply will not finish. And whether it's, you might have a health issue, you might have gear problems, you might have adverse weather conditions, whatever it is, you have to keep going or you will not finish. And it's so long that it is tempting to just quit. Now, there are some people who do ultra marathons. I've read about this. I found out that there's one guy who got lost for 10 days in the Sahara Desert. He had to drink his own urine and eat bats to survive. Not a good story, right? And he ended up in another country on accident. But he went on to do the same race again and he completed it. Then I read about another uh, group of 80 ultramarathon runners in Utah who had to be rescued off a mountain because of a snowstorm, a life-threatening snowstorm. And I guarantee you most of them went and did it again too. But our text for today, it shows us an even greater resiliency. It shows us a greater determination and strength. We see that nothing will stop God's marathon of salvation. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will stop him from carrying out his great plan of rescue, his great plan of redemption, his great plan of restoration for the entire world. 
And God has saved, he is saving, and he will save. We can look in the past, we can look now, but then we have this great hope as we look to the future. Because we're in this already not yet period, right? We know that God has worked, and he is working, and we see him at work. But yet we cry out, God, will you, will you complete this thing? Bring complete restoration. And I think a lot of us are saying that right now. Our world's a mess. I mean, we've had recent years of just, just difficulty everywhere. Our world's falling apart. When we all see it, we can all relate to this. It's an easy way to get into a conversation with someone. <laughs> There's signs of decay and death everywhere. Killings, bombs, world hunger, sex slavery, cancer. The demands and worries of life just on our shoulders. Broken families, broken marriages, broken friendships, broken church families. Do we feel beaten and destroyed? And what's our response to death and decay? What, what is our response to those around us as we are immersed in this world that is falling apart? And how do we as Jesus' followers act and speak in times of chaos, in times of darkness, these times of, of, of pain? And so as we approach our text this morning, the author, he's, he's prophetically looking ahead into the future. And he's looking into a time when the, the Israelites, God's people, God's chosen nation, they're beat down. I mean, they are just, they have been pummeled. And he's, now he's looking into the future. This is going to happen. He's, he's seeing it. Where they're barely cling, clinging to hope after being attacked, brutalized, and even pulled away from their homeland. And they were pulled away by the Babylonians. And we see this. This is, this is real history. But Isaiah was looking forward to when it would happen. And some would, some would be in exile. Some would have been stripped away from their lands. And then some would have stayed in Judah. Some were allowed to stay. But they would stay amidst the rubble and the wasteland of their homeland, of their conquered land. But all would be recipients of that, the, the horrible atrocities that came to them. And every God-given promise that they had clung to over the years almost seemed like fading fiction. Almost as if they weren't true. And so maybe this resonates with some of you guys. Maybe you're disillusioned or you've lost hope in the promises of God. Maybe you're weary from all the pain, from all the hardship. Maybe you're asking God, God, when will you help? When will this be over? Or maybe you struggle to share the hope that you find in Jesus because in all honesty, in some way, you feel is just you're just dried up. Your spiritual gas tank is on empty. And we all know gas costs a lot right now, so I'm not going to fill it up that way. <laughs> Bad joke. But truth be told, this world is, is falling apart, and we can be tempted to feel like God is distant. God is weak. God is uncaring or angry. But here's the good news. God revealed in our Bible, Yahweh, he had a plan of rescue, redemption, and restoration before the beginning of time. And this did not catch him off guard. And he will not be stopped. He will not be stopped. And we look in, in, in the storyline of Scripture. You have Genesis 3 through 11. And we see sin is just an astounding problem. It's everywhere. People rebel against God. There's war over and over again. Uh, there's idolatry, wickedness, destruction. 
it, it permeates the world of Genesis 3 through 11. We just keep reading about it over and over, and you're like, why is this in the Bible? But anyone who reads Genesis 11 is left thinking, God, are you going to do something about this? I just read chapter after chapter of just the world falling apart, people being evil over and over and over again. But then God's rescue plan, it begins to show. He chooses a man named Abraham. And he promises Abraham that from his descendants, there will be a great nation. This nation will be blessed so that you could be a blessing to others. That's the promise he gives to Abraham. He says, you will have more children than the sand on the the seashore. And as we know, Abraham and and Sarah, they were very old, almost 100 years old. And they were like, how are we going to have children? They They had no children yet. And it's from this promise that the Israelite people came to exist. And then the pages of the Old Testament tell story after story of God forming this select group of people, the Israelites, that came from Abraham and Sarah. And he formed them into a nation, giving them a land of milk and honey and teaching them what it means to live as God created them to live. And if you're familiar with the rest of the story, unfortunately, many of the Israelites continued to fall into that pattern, that vicious cycle of trusting God and then rejecting God trusting his ways, but then rejecting him and committing just horrible acts of, of, of uh, child sacrifice, abuse of the poor. The list goes on. And you're like, these are God's people? But God's covenant promise with Abraham is it, it, it's something that cannot be broken by anyone or anything. And not even national superpowers can prevent God's plans. The Egyptians the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, though they enslaved and oppressed the Israelites, even God used them in his great plan of rescue, redemption, and restoration for the entire world. So today, we'll see this great plan and great news as we look at God's reign in the chaos, God's peace in the chaos, and then God's people in the chaos. Isaiah 52.7 again says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald, who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And this this is a picture. This is a picture of a herald or a messenger approaching the city gates from afar. We actually get the name or the word marathon from from a story such as this. Someone traveling from a runner, traveling from the, the, the city of Marathon to Athens. And the, the, the story goes, and there's a lot of various stories of this, but it's roughly the, the distance of a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. And uh, it's been changed over the years slightly. I think it originated as 25 miles way back or whatnot. But that's where we get the, 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 the word marathon. And it was a messenger bringing news about the battle and how it went. And so the picture really is here of a marathon runner who holds news of life and death, coming up on the city, bringing this news. He's a herald. And this message, it's being delivered during a time in the future that Isaiah foresees, and the Israelites are going to suffer through Babylonian captivity and oppression. These dark days, they were on the horizon for the Israelites, according to what Isaiah saw as God showed him. And it's in these inevitable dark days that the Israelites are going to be tempted. 
They're going to be tempted to think that God's done with them or that his promise to bless them was just a farce because it's such a hard time in their lives. Now imagine you're an Israelite who knows the history of what God has done over the years. I mean, you have the stories that you've been told by your parents. You have the songs that you're singing. You have the different holidays that you celebrate, okay? But then you look around, and all you see is oppression. All you see is war. All you see is destruction. That's been what you've known, and yet everyone else is saying, no, God has these promises, God... It would be a bleak time. It would be hard to trust the promises of God. Maybe their fellow Israelites beside you are talking about Yahweh, but they're bickering. They're complaining. Many have just simply turned to the Babylonian gods who seem to provide more than what your God has. That would be the scene in these days, as if everyone just seems to have given up hope. I'll tell you, if you're the messenger, right, that would be the worst job you could ever have is to be the bearer of bad news, (laughs) a messenger of bad news. I mean, not only do you have the, 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 to give the bad news that the king has been defeated and that everyone better run to escape with their lives, but the entire journey, you're bringing this news, you you know what it's going to look like when you get there. There's going to be weeping, wailing, screams, and people are getting out of there. And so you have to travel this long distance with no hope at all. All you have is bad news. But now, imagine the messenger with good news. Everyone in the city, they're waiting to hear their fate. Uncertainty is in the air that they're breathing. What's going to happen? What's what's the news? What's, what's, What's my future look like? Tensions are high. And then the messenger traveling over the mountains from the battle lines to the city, he knows. He knows. He's the one who's going to proclaim to the people of the city that their king is triumphant, that their livelihood, their hope, their future is secured. And that's the mood here. You can almost picture an extra skip in the messenger's step and a smile on his face as he's coming to the city gates. That would be a good run. That would be a run I would want to finish no matter what. He's eager to get to his destination and proclaim it because he has the good news that he will radically affect, that that will radically affect everything in that city. And what's that news? The king reigns. He rules. He's not weak. His promises are true. He will not give up. No, he's, he's he's not sleeping. He's not casually observing things that are going on. He has not been defeated. He reigns. Even though these times... They were, they were, they were, they're, they're difficult. He reigns. He's an active king. And our God is an active God. He's all powerful in every way, and his purposes will not be stopped. Even when the situation looks bleak, he reigns during the chaos. And we see God's reign continue, and his purposes carried out even more so. As we look to Jesus, we have that privilege to look to Jesus. Isaiah saw it in part we see it so much more clearly. And one of the darkest moments in history was when Jesus willingly went to the cross to be executed. It was at this time, all, the, all of Jesus' disciples, they left him and fled. All of them. I know we hear about Peter, but it says they all left him and fled. Jesus was mocked, he was beaten, and he was left on a wooden cross for dead. Adding 
to that moment, this, this, this cataclysmic moment in history in which it looked like the Messiah, the highly anticipated Jesus got, when Jesus died, he was wrapped in, bar- in a burial cloth, he was put in a tomb, there was death, there was sadness, there was uncertainty. It once again seemed as if evil prevailed and all of God's promises were not true. And yet three days later, an angel, which by the way, another word for angel is messenger, an angel brings some world-altering news. Matthew 28, 5 records this. Don't be afraid, because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. God keeps his promises, and not even death can stop him. And because God reigns amidst the chaos of our world, he reigns, even when it looks bleak. And just as the good news was delivered to six women on that Easter Sunday, a lot of them were named Mary, it's hard to count, but those women became the messengers, the heralds of good news. Jesus is risen. God reigns. And not even death has a chance. Now, Gulf Coast family, there are many of us here today who have experienced resurrection life. We've experienced the goodness of God, and and we've seen that God is all-powerful as we've witnessed his life-transforming work in our lives and the lives of of, of those we know, many that we know. But aren't we tempted to fear or worry, especially in these days? I think it causes us to store up and, and guard what we have. Uh, Self-protection is big business these days. Uh, Maybe you're not one of the financial elite that are building doomsday bunkers, but we all know there's a few of us in here that hoarded some toilet paper. But what is that in us, right? Self-protection. And if I'm being honest, self-protection is is something that can creep into my life. It's a temptation. Do Do I give this money? Do I give this time? Do I give this resource to this person? When things are really tight right now, when, my, when the future does not look good. But what's the truth? God reigns. He will not be defeated. I need to remember these things. But what are we holding on to in fear? What blessings are we hoarding at times we believe the lie that God does not reign? And, and honestly, it can cause us to stop or to, to retreat from the command to love our neighbor. It might not be safe to love our neighbor. It might not be financially wise, but we're called to love our neighbor. Why? Because God reigns. I'm preaching to myself right now, and to you guys. But to truly love our neighbors means sacrifice. It means being vulnerable. And to enter into a person's life often means that, that to give, giving up safety in our finances and And the posture of my life could tend to be to put a guard up when it seems like everything is falling apart. But then I'm not pursuing those as God has pursued me. I'm not giving to those as I've been given by God. I secure my schedule. I hold on to my savings. And I might not even welcome people in my life who are different than me because, to be honest, that is hard. And it depletes things sometimes. It makes it so that I'm not as secure. And our lives reveal whether we believe God reigns or not. But not only our lives reveal that, but our language does. 
The herald is the one who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. But what, what language do we find ourselves using these days? Do we tend to blame others for the problems that we face? Maybe we say, they are the problem. Fill in the blank, they. Could be the left, it could be the right, could be everyone in between. Could be that, you know, and we just go down the list, right? There's always someone to blame. And to be fair, they might very well be part of the problem. It's true. But it's God who reigns, he directs everything, and he uses people to accomplish his problems, or his purposes. And I think if we're gonna gonna shake our fist at God because we don't like how he's achieving his purposes, I would encourage you to consider the words of Job after he experienced severe suffering and hardship in his life. He says this, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? And surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things that are too wondrous for me to know. And that was a humble posture by Job. And he had been humbled to be able to say those things. And if we're honest, many of us, including myself, can at times acknowledge that God reigns, but our lives and our language at times show the opposite. It's worth considering. It's worth considering whether our actions don't line up with what we truly believe, because if they don't line up, then we're hypocrites, and we're living a lie. But family, this is where the herald comes in. We need the herald just as Israel needed the herald. The good news is the truth that counters the lies. See, Gulf Coast, we don't need to fear because God reigns. He's overcome death. Jesus has conquered the grave, and so have we. Death has lost its sting. And so the truth that counters the lies, I I don't need to fear because God is in control. I don't need to hold to my security in every, every way or even keep my schedule exactly how it needs to be. No, God is in control. He handles the, this, my schedule. He handles time. He handles fine. Everything has been given by him. He reigns, and I do not need to fear because he is the one who is over all. Amen. It's hard. It's hard to say that. It's hard to trust, to be honest, in that way. It's easy to say it, right? It's easy to say it. It's hard to live it. But the truth that counters the lies, I, I don't need to blame someone either. I, I can tend to blame this whole world. Oh, it's their problem. It's because they're doing this or this or that, and this just needs to happen. But at the end of the day, God is the one who his purposes are being worked out. And I need to trust him, who he's put in office, who he's put here, who he's put in these different places of influence. And sure, I could pray for those people. And sure, I could say, I'd rather have this guy or this person. But at the end of the day, God is the one who is working these things. And so my language should be more, I trust God even though this is a mess. I trust God even though this person is on, in that position of power. God is working even when it looks like he's not on the throne. He is on the throne because he reigns. I need that, that message of the herald that God reigns. How beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. And as God's people, we should be the most resilient, marathon-running messengers of good news this world has ever seen. 
And we could say, even as we're in this marathon, we understand the marathon of God's salvation over time and now and into the future, and we're partnering with him. He's doing this work, this, this missional work to restore and redeem and, 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 and renew the world, and we're joining in with him. And we're standing strong. We're saying, I am with God. He is working. I trust him. I do not need to fear. I, I, am, I am entering this world with confidence because my God reigns. And then we have beautiful feet. <laughs> we are messengers. We are heralds. So are we living in such ways that show we truly believe God reigns? Are we proclaiming our faith in a God who reigns amidst the chaos And where have we started to trust in lesser things than God? And in turn, they've started to reign over us. These are good questions for us to ask ourselves. And amidst the chaos of the world, God reigns, but he also doesn't stop there. He brings peace in the chaos. An Israelite in the time of the Babylonians would either, they would see that their homeland, it's it's a wasteland, or it would be, uh, they would be in Babylon, and they would see the, the city as an overbearing superpower. Destruction, hostility, ruin, painting the landscape. Yet this was not God's desire. Because in the beginning, God and man walked together in a garden. There was peace. There was shalom. There was close relationship between God and man. This is the way everything should be. That's what shalom means. It means peace or the way it should be. But just as Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they rejected his rule, the Israelites did the same thing. They rejected their king. They found themselves in desperate need of help. And despite them rejecting him, God's salvific work continued. And just as the messenger in Isaiah says, he's proclaiming peace is inevitable. God would bring peace to the land. And so in this time, the Babylonians have have oppressed the Israelites, but then, and we know this in history, and Isaiah saw it as well, and we could read in Ezra as well as in Second Chronicles, this recorded in other his- historical books, that, the, that Persia conquers the Babylonians. And, and they help the Israelites return to their homeland to rebuild. To rebuild. Even the Persian king, King Cyrus, he helps them uh, uh, rebuild the temple. The, the temple t- worship um, starts again after 70 years of the Jews being in captivity in Babylon. And when we see that, when we know of that actual historical time where peace did come, we could say exactly what Proverbs 21.1 says. Because Cyrus did this, King Cyrus of the Persians. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Just think of that. Here you have this, this, uh, this, this king that does not know the God of the Israelites. Maybe he knows of him. And he, he, his heart is directed by God to give them everything back, to, to, to support them, to rebuild. Because God changes the hearts of kings. Why do I need to fear? Why do we need to fear when the world is falling apart? God even changes the hearts of kings. And so there's, there's, there's peace in the land and this great joy in the land as God's people can come home and rebuild. And they rebuild that temple. And God is with the Israelites in a new way. And he's brought peace. Because God reigns in the chaos and he brings peace. He rules and restores. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He rules over all of the cosmos. And he's crossed over from heaven to earth. 
And he took on flesh as a baby born of a virgin. Talk about God. He, it's, it's not that he just reigns. and Ah, oh, we win. No. No, he's, he, he's active. He's working so much that he even became a, a person, the man Jesus Christ. He walked amongst us. Isaiah 7 and Matthew 9 say he's Emmanuel, God with us. And the fact that God reigns, as we talked about in point one, it's this major altering truth to believe. But to know that God also is with us and hasn't just set the world in motion and stepping back and letting it just happen, this is heart gripping. Because the fact that God stepped into this world, lived a life as a man in all of our mess, and then walked willingly to his death on a cross to bring us peace. This is not only a God, this is not only a God that says, you must submit to him, right? Because he reigns. But this is a God who humbled himself and gave his own life so that we may have peace with God, even though we've sinned and rejected against him. He stooped so low to give his life for me that I might live. He reigns as king, yet he's sacrificial. He has a sacrificial compassion toward us at the same time. This is the king I want to trust. This is the king that we can herald to others as well because this is not only a king that reigns, this is a king that knows us, stepped into our world for the biggest problem that we have, and he solved it. He made a way for us to be forgiven, made a way for us to be right with God. He's all-powerful, yet completely sacrificial. I can, I can tell people about that God, greatest God in all the world, and take all the gods and hold them up. God of the Bible is the greatest God. Even if you don't believe the story, he's still the greatest God. It's worth talking about. It's worth heralding. This is good news. And then after defeating death, Jesus ascended to heaven, and the Spirit of God now dwells in those who trust in Jesus as their rescuer king, their savior. And the Spirit of God is with God's people now, and he's transforming us to become more and more like Jesus. And we may not be in the garden but God is with us, and he's bringing new life and peace to this broken world. But Gulf Coast, here's more good news. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead, is inside of us. God is with us amidst the chaos, amidst the chaos of this world, and amidst the chaos of ourselves. <laughs> Praise God for that. And he's working. God loves you so much. He stepped in this world and took on flesh. And then he walked to the cross for you. And he wasn't done there. He defeated death. And then he sent his spirit to reside in you. Gulf Coast, you are dearly loved. Your freedom has been bought. You may feel like there's a war going on, whether it's in your heart, your mind, your life. But God's with you. And he cares. And he knows every trial. He knows every pain. He knows what you're going through. He experienced that pain. And just as we see Jesus say to his disciples uh, in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. See, we know that we have God with us. He's our peace and he's our shalom maker. He's given us peace He's shown he, between, him and, between us and God, but he's also working this in us. He's making us as we should be. And despite how messed up or weak or chaotic we feel like our lives are, God is at work in all those who trust in him. And lastly, we look at God's people in the chaos. As Paul writes, 
uh, with Isaiah 52, 7 in mind. In Romans 10, we see this confidence in God's unstoppable plan of rescue, his unstoppable plan of redemption and restoration, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And that's the point here as we look in Romans chapter 10. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? How then can they call on they, they who have, they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. <laughs> God used Israel to achieve his purposes. But now God is using his church to display his power and purposes. God's plans and purposes, they were never just for the Israelite. He was rescuing, redeeming, and restoring with the entire world in mind. If you look at Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has displayed his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. My righteousness is near. My salvation appears and my arms will bring justice to the nations. The coasts and the islands will put their hope in me and they will look to my strength. See, church family, we as God's people, we are the recipients of this salvation. It was never meant just for the Israelite. It was meant for us. But we have been blessed to be a blessing. Just as he said to Abraham and to the Israelites that you would be blessed to be a blessing, he's call, God calls us, the church, to be that blessing, to continue in this marathon of salvation. This has been God's plan since the beginning of time. This is what Paul is elaborating here. This is the marathon of salvation that we as the church are part of. We're an integral part of. We are God's people who are to proclaim the good news that God reigns and we're called to join with God in this marathon of salvation that began so long ago to bring peace to earth as it is in heaven. Now, what does that look like, Gulf Coast? What does that look like in your own individual lives? And then what does it look like for us as a church? How do we bring peace to earth as it is in heaven? We're God's people, and we are to proclaim the good news but where can we join in with God? Where can we position our lives? Where can we position our families' lives to have more opportunity to be those beautiful feet, heralding the good news where we go, in both word and deed? This is a marathon of salvation. We join in with God, but let's not be those who have heard the good news and yet have not run the race till the end. Whether it's because we got distracted, whether it's because we're fearful or tired, and as we run this race, heralding the good news, let's keep that finish line in mind so that as we run, kind of with that, that skip on our step and a smile on our faces, because we have the end in mind. We know the news that we have, and we're looking to the end, even when there's chaos everywhere, because we know our king has won and a world of peace is coming. And I want us to close by looking at Revelation 21. Actually... Let's go to Revelation 7, verse 9. 
Now John is looking, and he's looking into the future. He's looking into what's happening at the end of time. After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne, and they worshiped God. And they said, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Talk about winning the battle. Talk about triumphant. Now we turn to Revelation 21. And this is the, this is, again, this is the picture that the runner, us even, have in mind. We're looking to this future and it informs what we do now. It informs what matters to us now. Verse 1 of 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. By the way, that's the church. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And that's the picture that we have as we run this race. Even though you may be tired, even though you may be fearful, even though... Everything seems to be at sometimes against us. We know that God reigns and he brings peace and he calls us as his church to enter into this world proclaiming in word and deed. And as we look, we have this message, we have this hope that all things will be made new. You talk to the guy who's struggling, you talk to your friend, you talk to even preach to yourself when you're struggling. There is this, this truth that God is working amidst all this stuff and he is fixing things. He is renewing. He is redeeming. We've seen it. We're seeing it. And I can't wait. We can't wait until he makes all things new. And that's the good news we have for our struggling neighbor. That's the good news we have for those around us. And so I've seen this as you guys, as at Gulf Coast, as you live as good news people. You stood up for the vulnerable and you've protected them. You've welcomed the stranger in your home and given them family. You've pursued the unlovable so that they could be loved. And you've given of your resources so that others could be provided for. This is happening, Gulf Coast. God is working through his church, even when it's hard. None of this is easy. But may God continue to help us to bring peace to this world as it is in heaven. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, we do give you praise that you have won and you reign, but yet you also bring peace to our lives. You help us, Lord, to be transformed into your, into your son's image, but you've also given us this hope of a better future, of a, 
a, a world with no pain or disease or suffering, a world without war, a world where we love one another. And so God, give us that hope afresh where there are those in this room that are weary and tired and, and even their lips have seemed to be closed to this good news that they might have known at one time. Would you stir that up in us and help us as a church to be your people, that partner with you, God, to bring peace to this earth as it is in heaven. We trust you, Lord. We leave it in your hands and we give you praise for your kindness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.